What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you in your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the saint that God our Heavenly Father desires for you and me and all of us to become. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, dogma, catechesis, evangelization, discipleship, and the list goes on. I would then spend time with your questions, pray with them, study, have conversations about them with some of my peers, and then hopefully respond in such a way that is good for you to become a saint. However, uh, disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect, and therefore my advice might not actually be good, and it might not be good for you. And so if my advice is not helpful for you to become a saint, for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, then I really want to encourage you to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to um, become a saint. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer, in scripture, before the Blessed Sacrament, so that God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions, comments, and or critiques on today's show, for future shows, and about past shows at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and all the other podcast formats. This helps other people find out about the show. If the show is a gift for you, potentially, it can become a gift for them as well. And finally, you can share uh, the show and your thoughts about the show on social media. Again, this also helps people to find out about the show. Uh, and I have two books that I've done with Ascension Press, uh, Broken and Blessed, An Invitation to My Generation, and Pocket Guide to Adoration. Both of those books are available at ascensionpress.com. So on to the topics for today's show. Today's show is going to be heavy, but I pray that... Um, we can bring the light of Christ into these really great um, questions uh, so that we can begin to see the world through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church's teachings. So we're going to address some very relevant questions that are going on right now in the church and in the world, including uh, removing statues from some of our churches, uh, police reform, um, and how do we address when Catholic public figures um, talk about topics that they um, aren't necessarily experts in and, and can uh, tend to be divisive in their personal opinions. So how do we address that as faithful Catholics or as men and women striving to be disciples of Jesus Christ? So those would be our topics. But before we get into those heavy topics, I want to share with you a really beautiful glory story. So my glory story this week is about uh, some time I spent years ago um, in a place called Medjugorje. So I am not endorsing Medjugorje. I'm not endorsing the visionaries in Medjugorje. I leave all that up to Holy Mother Church. I will say I have had some very beautiful times of prayer while in the place Medjugorje. Um, I've had some beautiful in intimate encounters with Jesus while in prayer in Medjugorje. This is not me saying that I, in any way, shape, or form, believe that the visionaries are authentic. Um, I just am saying, for me personally, I've had some really beautiful experiences there. And years ago, I went there, uh, and been three times, and on my 
first trip there, a number of beautiful things happened. One, while I was praying the rosary, reflecting on the life of Jesus, during an alleged, and I say this, alleged apparition, because we don't know if it was a, a real thing or not, but allegedly Mary was appearing, okay? I was praying my rosary, and all of a sudden, we were outside on a mountain. All of a sudden, I began to smell this like fragrance of roses. It was heavy roses. I mean, it was powerful. And I remember thinking, man, somebody's wearing a lot of perfume right now. Then I looked around me, and I was all by myself. I was, I was just me on the mountain where I was at. And, uh, and I said, oh, my goodness, wait a minute. I've heard stories that you know, when St. Therese appears or when Blessed Mother appears, that roses, that's the smell. Okay, cool. So I, look, I journaled that down. And then, um, and then we uh, later, I think that, that day or the next day or something like that, we were at another um, alleged apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And after the apparition, we walked outside and the sun began to dance. Like it literally was pulsating back and forth. And we were able to look at the sun and our eyes weren't hurting and we were able to see it. And I was like, man, that's, you know, like, Lord, I, that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know if this is of you or not, but bottom line is, is this is not something that you see every day. And then finally, because of our awesome encounters with God, we, my group and I that I was with of young adults, we all felt just drawn to go adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And and so we were all thinking to ourselves and saying to each other, like, how are we going to get to adoration? Because we're not from Medjugorje, we're from America, from Louisiana, and uh, we've never been here. So like, how do we get to the, the place where adoration is happening right now? And a dog came, like a legit little dog came. And one of us had the crazy idea, why don't we follow this dog through the hills and the valleys? Maybe this dog can bring us to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And no lie, the dog brought us to the Eucharistic adoration that was taking place at the church. And uh, <laughs> it was a beautiful experience. It was so beautiful. Uh, I think the only corny thing about the whole thing, whole experience was that different people from all over the world were there in Medjugorje at this time. And during adoration, they were singing different songs to Jesus in different languages. Um, and this is why, you know, Latin can be helpful, uh, especially whenever we're like in different places, because it's the universal language of the church. And so it would have been kind of cool if we could have just all been on the same page and not been like, man, what what is that? What is that? What is that? Well, anyways, the one universal song that everybody their mama knew, it was so corny. I, and I know, I'm sorry for people who really like this song. I know the history behind it, but Nonetheless, like judge me later. Uh, it was Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, and literally everybody began to sing it. And I said, No, 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 no. Oh, why can't we just sing Tantumergo <laughs> or O Solitaris Hostia? Why, why? But anyways, it was a beautiful experience, and so I was reminded of that a few weeks ago, and. I just thought I would share that with you. Uh, sometimes we forget. And the reason why I was able to remember this story was because I picked up my journal and my journal reminded me about that beautiful experience I had uh, about 10 years ago uh, or 10 or 11 years ago uh, in that place, Medjugorje, that again, I am not in any way saying I support uh, any of this stuff, but I do happen to really like to go and pray in that place. That's one of my near occasions of grace. So speaking of near occasions of grace, uh, let's get on to the topics of the show. Yeah. 
All right. First question. We're just going to jump right in. This is one of the hot topics right now all over social media and on major news outlets and happening all over the country. This comes in from Penny and it's about removing statues. Hey, Father Josh, long time listener here. Thank you for all that you're doing for the church, uh, for both black and white communities. You are doing amazing work. Well, thank you, Penny. Pray for me. I do desire to bring all of God's people together so that we can console the heart of Jesus and become one. So back to your question, Penny, I need you to help me understand something. By nature, many of us have a tendency to go to the extreme when reacting to, to much of what is going on today, specifically the destruction of statues around our nation. In the past few years, we have seen our country take down statues of historical figures, such as the founders of our country, past presidents, and other controversial figures. We are now seeing our neighbors woke with the idea that maybe, just maybe, Jesus and Mary weren't European-American whites. I imagine most white people have never thought about this. Many were probably never taught this. Father Josh, my question to you is, now that we better understand exactly where Jesus and his family came from and that they were not European whites, is it okay to take down all the white-looking statues that don't accurately depict Jesus and Mary as Jews from Nazareth? Shouldn't the statues we pray with look like the real historical Jesus and the real historical Mary? Prayers for you and your work. Thank you so much, Father Josh Penny. Penny, that's a great question. That is one of the big debates right now. One a uh, person who is a public figure and has a pretty big following, a pretty controversial person recently tweeted that we need to take down, remove, or destroy all the white Jesus statues and churches. Um, and I don't think that that's healthy. I don't think that his his idea is a, a good idea. Yes, it is true. Jesus Christ was not European. Jesus Christ was not a blonde haired man with blue eyes. He was not from the United States of America or from Europe. Um, he um, would have probably historically looking, looked like a Middle Eastern person uh, in, in modern world today. Um, however, one thing that the person who made that tweet about taking down white Jesus statues did not take into account is that uh, there is historical Jesus and then there's Jesus Christ, who after his crucifixion and resurrection, he was in his glorified body. And when he appeared in his glorified body, he did not look the same as he appeared whenever he was crucified. He looked totally different. And so whenever Jesus Christ appears in apparitions, he appears in his glorified body. And typically whenever Jesus and Mary both appear all over the world. Um, Jesus recently appeared in Poland uh, to Sister Faustina, who is now known as Saint Faustina. When he appeared to her, he did appear um, looking probably more like a white person than the historical Jesus would have looked like from Nazareth. Whenever Mary appeared in Guadalupe, Mary looked like the indigenous people. Whenever she appeared, um, the indigenous people of Mexico, whenever she appeared in Fatima, she looked like the people of Spain. When she appeared in Lourdes, uh, she, she appeared like those people from that place. So in each apparition in Cabejo, she appeared to look like the people of Africa. So whenever Jesus and Mary appear to people, in apparitions uh, or in visions, like with St. Uh, Margaret Mary and many other um, disciples of Jesus Christ throughout the past 2,000-year history of the church, they can appear sometimes looking black, sometimes looking brown, sometimes looking white, sometimes looking Asian or and or indigenous, right? And so um, I think instead of breaking statues and tearing down those statues, I think what would be more helpful and a better solution would be to include 
more diverse images of Jesus and Mary and, and, and Joseph, and also the other members of the body of Christ who are canonized saints in our churches, so that whenever we go to church, we can be reminded that Jesus Christ um, and his glorified body can appear to all people across the world. However, um, he wants to draw them to be in relationship with him, just as Mary does. And also, it's important for us to have saints that are diverse. I do think that it is a problem that in many of our churches in America, that the only images of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are white, European-looking. I think it is important for us, instead of to destroy those images, to just include and incorporate more diverse images of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph um, in our churches. Um, I think one of the, the the statues that I've always said is problematic in the United States of America, and I will stand by this, um, is the depiction of St. Michael and Satan. We have to remember that um, St. Michael is an angel. Satan is a demon. They were not people. And so one of the things that becomes problematic with regards to statues is whenever we have depictions of St. Michael looking like a white person with blonde hair and blue eyes stepping on top of a brown man. Um, if he were depicted as a white person with blonde hair and blue eyes stepping on a devil that was also white with blonde hair and blue eyes, then that wouldn't send off a message um, in this country. But because of the historical context of the American Catholic Church, where our bishops owned slaves and our and Jesuits owned slaves and tortured people and religious orders of sisters and nuns and brothers tortured black people and oppressed black people. Um, because of that history of Catholics, members of the body of Christ, who were disobedient to the teachings of the church and chose to still have slaves and, and torture people and uphold Jim Crow laws and, and lynch, like, like literally there, there are Catholics in our country um, who disobeyed the church's teachings and did this. And those statues of St. Michael appearing as a white person stepping on a black person kind of reinforced that mentality that, that whites can be superior to blacks. So I think because angels aren't people, um, if you're going to depict them as people, then don't depict them as a white person stepping on a black person. Imagine if every St. Michael statue was of a black person stepping on a white person. That would catch everybody's attention. So because angels did not have bodies, then I would encourage people to either make them all one color, make them all non-human colors, um, uh, or somehow foster devotion to St. Michael in a different way than depicting him as that in this country's history. I get it in other places of the world, they might be depicted that way, but in the American Catholic Church, um, it is certainly very problematic. But with regards to Jesus, don't break a Jesus statue. Just add more diverse images of the apparitions of our Blessed Mother. Add more diverse images of Jesus the, in our church uh, and, and in the sacred heart of Jesus, right? So it's not something that you should destroy and break the property of. I don't think that that's helpful, but I do think that we should include more in our churches, in our schools, in our chanceries, in our places um, of, of prayer and encounters with the Lord. And so, yeah, I think that the guy who made that tweet, I'm not going to give his name out because I don't want to glorify him. Um, I think that he was wrong. And so how do we approach someone like him? We pray for him. And we fast for him to have a conversion um, because he could really incite uh, a lot of people who have mental illnesses um, uh, and, and people who also um, are filled with a, a spirit of, of wrath to do things that are not good. Um, and because if it starts with statues, then where is it going to go next? Right? It starts with statues, then it's going to be entire churches. And then when people get done with the church buildings, they're going to attack the church, the body of Christ, people. And we're going to start seeing martyrs in this country, um, which... You know, I mean, historically, whenever the church is persecuted on that level, the greatest saints are formed. I, I, I will say this also. I do think that in the American Catholic Church in general, 
a lot of us are very mediocre in our faith. We're mediocre. I say us, including myself. And when I go to places like Poland, where the church was persecuted by communists for so many years, I mean, Poland has so many saints and so many radical, intentional disciples of Jesus Christ who are priests and religious and faith, lay faithful. Because they were persecuted, they had to choose Jesus. They couldn't be halfway with their relationship with God. So if it ever comes to a place where in the American Catholic Church, uh, it's not just statues that are being broken or churches that are being broken into and destroyed, but actually members of the body of Christ are being physically assaulted, like in the early church, I do think that God will have the final word. And I do think that many of us Catholics will will become really intentional in our relationship with Jesus and we won't be one foot in, one foot out. I, I don't, I don't want that kind of evil to happen um, in this country. But again, if it does, I do think Jesus Christ will have the final word. Satan would never have the final word. Uh, he may win a few battles, but he would not win the war. Uh, the war belongs to God. So that's what I would say um, about that. Uh, is let's just include more. Let's just bring more in. But I do think that we should we should address the Saint Michael Satan statues and have those repainted. Um, but as far as Jesus, let's just in include more diverse images of Jesus. Why can't we have both and all of the above? All right. Let me know what you think. Penny, hit me up at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. Next question comes in from, from Sally. Sally writes this. It's about some of our public figures. Father Josh, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you are doing. You leave no stone unturned on your podcast, and I admire you so much for that. I pray for you all the time, Father Josh. Keep up the good work. Father Josh, I'm struggling we are told the news is fake. Uh, I cannot figure out who to listen to when I want to get the truth. Uh, here's an idea. I'm sorry, but let's listen to the word of God. You know, I, do, I, I will say this. I think that we spend way too much time reading blogs and watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, unless it's this one. Um, and, and we spend more time with these goods and less time with the greatest good, which is the word of God, the Bible. This should not be so. We need to spend more time reading the word of God and spending time before the tabernacle than we do spend before a TV screen or a computer screen or a cell phone screen. And before we spend all this time reading these other books that are, are fine, but they're not the word of God. So I think the first thing that we are invited to do by God is to prioritize time with his word, to prioritize time with the Eucharist. So back to your question, Sally. With regard to trying to learn more about racism and how I can be a better participant by hopefully building good relationships with people who are different than me, I listen to both black and white speakers. However, some of the people I listen to seem to do more damage than good with their YouTube videos and their podcast. There seems to be a lot of bad information out there while at the same time, so many are speaking with such authority. How do we approach some of these Catholic leaders? Peace to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sally, that's a that's a good question. And again, I, I think that we first of all need to pray for them. Pray for pray for me. Pray for everyone who has a voice in the church that people are listening to right now, um, because the enemy uh, can inspire us and tempt us to speak. Um, to speak too quickly uh, before we before we really listen to other people, um, to say things that we aren't really uh, knowledgeable, and and we can do a lot more damage than good. Uh, so the first thing I would encourage all of us to do is to pray with Scripture and be quick to hear. 
um, slow to speak and, and slow to, to anger. I think that, um, that's the first thing I would say in recent weeks, I myself have seen YouTube videos. Uh, I've heard, I've heard podcasts from brothers and sisters in the Catholic church, members of the body of Christ who I, I love and who I admire and I'm grateful for, for the role that they play in the body of Christ, for the ways that they've been used by God to, to draw people to the confessional and to the Eucharist and to the sacramental life of the church that Jesus Christ founded to help people find healing and freedom um, in many different ways. There are a number of Catholic figures who I've seen recently speak about racism, um, and I've I've heard what they've had to say, and it's, it's been, I'll say, disappointing. Um, some of their thoughts that they've shared, their opinions that they've spoken as if it's gospel truth. So whenever I hear people like them speaking, um, if I know them, I reach out to them. I would reach out to them. If you are someone who actually knows them personally, I would reach out to them uh, to invite them to a further dialogue, to pray with them, to pray for them, to talk to them, and to maybe um, share wisdom with them on things that they might not be aware of. But for people who I don't know, I I encourage prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. St. John Paul II and his awesome encyclical uh, which, I mean, pretty much all of his encyclicals are really cool. My favorites uh, were on the Eucharist, on the Rosary, and the one called the Gospel of Life. Um, in the Gospel of Life, he invited all of us to pray and fast so that power from on high can break down the walls of lies and deceit. I would propose that right now the enemy is is tempting a lot of our public figures, even in the church, to say things that are not true. Um, and they are deceiving many people who are eager, like you, to learn about this and so that you can be educated and then therefore be used by God to bring about healing and, and, and justice and reform where it is is good. So I first of all would encourage us all to pray and fast for our public leaders, um, for our public leaders. They, they need our prayers. That's what St. John Vianney did. St. John Vianney, when he would hang out with other priests and they would complain about um, parishioners, St. John Vianney would always ask them, have you fasted for them? Have you fasted for them? So before we go out and make response videos, I would really go before the Eucharist and ask the Lord to inspire me and give me the grace to begin to intentionally and consistently fast for other people, fast for our brothers and sisters, especially those who are are misinformed um, and misinforming other people. Uh, it's necessary that we fast. I mean, this is one of the very first commandments that God gave in the Old Testament. Literally, one of the very first commands he gave to Adam and Eve was to fast. He told Adam and Eve to not eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, so I would certainly um, encourage us to practice fasting. But I would also encourage those speakers and those Catholic public figures who are are speaking with authority. They're not speaking with like, hey, here's what I think. I might be wrong. Like, you know, on my podcast, I always say from the jump, like, I'm going to share with you my, my thoughts that I've discerned after prayer and study and conversation. But I always say at the beginning of this podcast, I could be wrong. I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that is not true. I am not infallible. Okay. I'm not speaking from the chair of Peter. Uh, so I can be wrong and I'm always open to critique, to criticism, to being wrong. I think it would be a good thing if some of my brothers and sisters who are Catholic 
figures. Some of them are very much prominent um, in the pro-life movement, um, in, in apologetic circles, and they have begun to speak about racism, and they're saying some things that are not helpful for the body of Christ. I wish that they would at least propose that they could be wrong and not defend themselves as if they are infallible. I think that that is prideful and it's not helpful. And so that's why I, I myself have begun fasting for them. And I would encourage you to do that as well. But I would also encourage them to fast from speaking. That's what St. John Chrysostom says. He says, we should fast also from unnecessary words. And so there's a time for speaking, certainly, but there's also a time for listening. And so I think that that it's really important that we recognize we have one mouth but two ears. And so sometimes it's best that we really begin to listen more than we speak, um, to get out of our echo chambers and to even listen to people who think different than us, who speak different than us, who look different, who come from different backgrounds, um, to listen to everybody and then to, to, to fast from speaking and apply the steps of Lexio Divina to what people say. Go before the Blessed Sacrament, enter into the Word of God, go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, read Catholic social teaching, um, and, and then go back to that person who is educating us, have further conversation, and then, and then begin to speak, maybe. Um, I think I think sometimes we speak way too quickly. Um, so I just would encourage us all to take on that posture of humility. Um, I know I'm not right in everything I say. I know I can be wrong, and I can always be purified. Sometimes I listen to homilies I gave five or six years ago, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I definitely prayed before I gave that homily. I definitely studied. But like now that I know more, I wouldn't have said it that way. And so I think that it will be helpful if our brothers and sisters could also take on that kind of disposition. Like, you know what? Like, here's what I think. But y'all, I might be wrong, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm open to fraternal correction, and uh, so I think that that is a way that we can approach some of these these leaders who are speaking is to pray for them, and to fast for them, um, and to encourage them to fast as well. Okay, with all that being said, I'm a fast from speaking for a couple of minutes while we go on a break, and when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question. Uh, that's very close to my heart because my dad uh, was the captain of the Baton Rouge Police Department for many years uh, about police reform. So stay tuned for that. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. And we are back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And so our final question is about a topic that, as I said before, is very close to my heart. Um, because my dad, uh, he was the captain of the Baton Rouge Police Department for many years. My dad was shot point blank in the back of his head, um, and he survived. And and I grew up knowing what it's like to have an amazing father who was an outstanding member of the law enforcement who put his life on the line every day. I remember as a kid staying up at night wondering if my dad was going to come home or, or if he was shot while working in the in in the law enforcement. Um, so. This question is something that I, I am excited to, to 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 respond to because I think it's a necessary question, and I and so again I I could be wrong, but I'm going to propose what I think it could look like. So this is about police reform from Lee. Lee writes this: Hello, Father Josh from Tiger Country. We loved having you at Christ the King on the LSU campus in 2014, 2015, shortly after you were ordained. Yeah, that was my very first assignment as a priest. Uh, we miss you, brother. 
Father Josh, I am worried we are missing a golden opportunity in our country to bring something that is unique to America and racism to the light. While white people are trying to figure things out, black people are dying. The black community is not doing okay. It seems as though there are many good men and women, including your own father and our police forces, who are good people responding to calls to the black community exactly how they were trained. I believe that uh, people of color cannot be fully dignified until our police forces take a hard look at their foundation, their inherent biases that have brought generations of prejudicial behavior, uh, their current practices and policies, etc. Can you address this topic? Thank you, Father Josh. God bless you. And go Tigers. Yes, go Tigers. I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to look like this year on our college campuses, but uh, yeah, go Tigers indeed, and go Jags as well. I went to Southern University, so I, I was a priest at LSU, but I'm a, I was a student at Southern, so go Jags. All right, so yeah, so again, like I said, my dad was a cop and a very good cop, and growing up, I, I knew good cops. Um, I knew good cops, and I remember even getting into to arguments in middle school because a lot of my peers had really bad experiences with members of the law enforcement, so they thought that all cops were bad because a few cops were bad. And I remember having many arguments with them and, um, and even beef that lasted for a year in my teenage years because I knew my dad. I knew that the sacrifice my dad made to protect and to serve. Uh, and so I always saw things from a different perspective. At the same time, I also myself could understand why some of my friends had a bad impression of the law enforcement because I myself was harassed by members of the law enforcement um, throughout throughout my young adult life. Um, and so I've always said whenever I wear the, the collar, I'm, you know, I'm a priest, so I'm a, I wear my cassock, I wear my collar, um, uh, I feel safe. But there are times whenever I'm not wearing it that I don't feel safe because of my experiences. Um, I, I'm not going to say I can just disregard my experiences of being followed and being harassed um, by some members of the law enforcement. So then, so what's the solution? Is it just that there are some good cops and then there are a few bad cops? Um, and no, I, I think the bigger, the bigger issue with regards to like reform in the, the law enforcement is, is reform of, of the policies and the practices in law enforcement. So my dad has told me himself, like whenever he first became a cop years ago, he's one of the first black cops in Baton Rouge. He was the first African-American cop to ever arrest a white man. Back then there was a practice in the law enforcement that black cops could not arrest white people. So even though he was a cop, he wasn't seen as an equal. Um, and so he was the very first black cop in uh, Baton Rouge to arrest a white man. But that case was thrown out because he went against the practice. Black cops can't arrest white people. So since that time, the police department has gone through a lot of positive reform. That's no longer a practice. So they have been reformed throughout the years. When my dad was a young uh, member of the law enforcement, uh, he would tell me about members of the Ku Klux Klan who were also in the Baton Rouge Police Department and who he witnessed harass African-Americans who were doing nothing. He witnessed four cops one time jump out of a car and just beat the life out of a young black man who did nothing. And my dad um, went to go protect that young black man. And that black man then was arrested by those cops. But my dad was able to argue for him in court and get him released. But nothing happened to those members of the law enforcement who did this to that young black man. Again, there has been a lot of reform in the police department since that time. So as my father began to, to grow in the ranks, lieutenant, sergeant, to, when he was the captain of the Baton Rouge Police Department, he saw a lot of change in the police department and especially even a lot of change in the people who became police. Um, I will say this. 
I myself am a Catholic priest. I myself am still in need of God's reformation. I need to be reformed more as a person. I believe myself and you, the listener, and every person who's in the priesthood, every person who's a nurse, who's a doctor, who's a teacher, who's a stay-at-home mother and father, I believe that every person who's in law enforcement, like me, is also in need of ongoing reformation. And we will all be in need of ongoing reformation until we become saints in heaven, right? So we all need to be reformed personally. But I also believe that our institutions, our practices and policies need to also experience ongoing reformation as well. Uh, Whenever I came to my parish, um, there was a a policy um, that was written by past leadership uh, with regards to the sacrament of confirmation. Uh, And the person who wrote this policy thought it was a good idea, but it ended up hurting a lot of people in the parish. And a lot of people ended up leaving the sacraments because of that written rule um, that was being enforced. So when I came here, my team here made me aware of that policy. And so my team and I got together, prayed together, and we rewrote that policy so that we could accommodate more people in our parish so that that rule from our church parish was changed. Likewise, when the pre-sex scandal happened, yeah, a lot of priests are holy and they're saintly and they're good and they're virtuous. And then there's a few bad apples. But the problem with the sex scandal wasn't the few bad apples alone. It was the fact that some of those bad apples were allowed to get through seminary formation because at one time or another, seminary formation was really lax. They were allowed to get through seminary formation with their their disorders. Uh, Not only that, but then they were protected by people in leadership in the church and they were moved from parish to parish. Their formation was lacking and their bishops supported them and, uh, and their religious superiors allowed them to go from parish to parish, from diocese to diocese. So just like um, we have gone through reformation in the Catholic church over the past um, decade or so, um, a few decades, really um, since 2002, the Dallas charter, um, I would encourage the police department and members of the law enforcement to embrace that same kind of reformation as well, right? Um, In the Diocese of Baton Rouge, if you want to be involved in any ministry in any of our parishes, um, then you have to do background checks. And you have to not only do background checks, but you have to go through workshops about safe environment and how to protect our children and how to be mandatory reporters to protect our children. Whenever I applied to seminary, I had to go through psychological evaluations. I had to do background checks. I had to go through meetings with other individuals. And then I got into seminary formation and it was eight years long and we had evaluations every year to discern whether or not we were fit to continue our formation in the sermon of the priesthood. I would propose that something similar could happen with regards to the law enforcement as a positive police reform. That if I go to seminary for eight years before I'm allowed to be ministering to the people who are entrusted to me, eight years, then I would suggest that we need to look at what is the formation process for members of the law enforcement? Um, What's the time frame? Is it six months? Is it a year? I would just say maybe we should extend the formation period. Doctors go to school for X amount of years. Priests go to school for X amount of years. Lawyers go to school for X amount of years. I would propose that law enforcement also should go to school for X amount of years as well so that that way we can address more things with them during their formative years. 
I would also suggest that just as we have multiple psychological evaluations that we experience in seminary formation, there should be multiple psychological evaluations for members of our law enforcement um, before they are accepted in. And even while they're in training, they should still go through ongoing psychological evaluations even after they begin to work in the in the field, because what they experience on a day to day basis is traumatic at times. And they're going to need to be able to process this with professionals, with therapists, with counselors, with people who can make sure that they are psychologically well to be out on our streets and in our communities and in our neighborhoods. I, I would also propose that there should be policies that that state that if an officer is reprimanded, that that officer who is reprimanded should not be allowed back on into the community um, until he's gone through therapy and until he's gone through some kind of um, some kind of healing on, on, on his own. Um, beca because uh, what happens is, is just like there were Years ago, there were priests who were allowed to get reprimanded, who were doing some things that appeared to be sketchy, and but we didn't know for sure. And so leaders in the church began to move those beloved sons of God the Father who are members of the body of Christ, but who were terribly disordered and sinful and corrupt. And they were allowed to be moved from place to place and hurt so many people. What often has happened, like in the case of Derek Chauvin, the member of the body of Christ, the beloved son of God, the father, if he was baptized, or at least the person who was made in the image of God, um, who killed George Floyd, he received so many reprimands. Uh, I think it was multiple, like in the teens, and yet he was still allowed to be out there in the community. If if there was a policy to say, if you receive this many reprimands, you can't be in law enforcement anymore. In the, in the first few reprimands, you go get therapy and counseling. After that, you're not allowed to be on the streets. You can't be a cop. And you can't also be moved from one department to another, from one agency to another. I think that that would be helpful. Just like priests can't be moved around, um, priests who are weirdos can't be moved around, we shouldn't allow members of the law enforcement also to be able to go from place to place if they have a bad record. And just like right now, uh, the records of priests are being made public. I think that the records of law enforcement should be made public as as well. Um, and so I think that the, the reform should definitely, we all need to have a conversion of heart and mind, every single one of us, like right? We all need to be reformed as individuals, but also those practices and policies that are now in place in our diocese, they protect our children because now bad apples can't get into diocesan leadership as a layperson in ministry or as a priest or as a sister or as a brother, right? Those bad apples who are already in ministry, they get put out of ministry because these policies help us to identify what's not good and what's not acceptable. I think the same thing would apply for our, our law enforcement. There are so many good men and women who are cops who are sacrificing their lives on a daily basis. And to protect them and to protect people in our community, um, I would say we need to, first of all, always encourage more reform, which again, this would, would include like where the, where are the chaplains at? How many chaplains are are available to our, our law enforcement and how many priests are also available to people in our community in their neighborhoods? Um, I think sometimes because priests stay in the sacristy all day long, that's why we have problems because priests aren't intentional with going out to being with people in our communities and with being with members of law enforcement. It's a both and approach, I believe. And I think that if we could begin to uh, address reformation this way, as an individual person, but also as an institution, just as our church has done, and our church has seen a lot of positive fruit, I think that uh, members of the law enforcement and people in our community can begin to establish and build trust with each other um, if if we see similar reforms happen there that, that are happening and still need to happen even more in our church. I think that we need more re reformation in our church. I think that we need more saints. We need more people to have conversion of heart and mind, but we also need more rules in place um, to continue to protect our 
um, children, our seminarians, and those who are most vulnerable among us. Um, and likewise, I think that we'll, and we'll never have a perfect seminary or perfect diocese or perfect parish um, because um, until we're in heaven. And likewise, we're never going to have a perfect law enforcement or our law enforcement policy. So we should always be willing to go back to the table over and over again to see where can we bring about more ongoing reform through the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ. I'll end with this. One of the things that my parish does is we always look at supernatural fruit. My pastoral council and my staff and I are always looking at this question, where are we seeing supernatural fruit? Where are we seeing conversions happen? Where are we seeing pe people grow in morality and understanding of church teaching and discipleship and love of the poor and, and works of charity and fighting for justice? Where are we seeing that in our community? Where are we seeing people come back to confession and come worship at mass? And where are we not seeing supernatural fruit? And where we don't see supernatural fruit, we literally every year go back to the table and we rediscern, is this ministry bearing supernatural fruit? Even though it bore fruit last year, we didn't see it this year, so it needs to be reformed. All right, so we're always looking at how can we make it better. Um, that's the way we should approach ourselves. How can I grow more in my relationship with God? And also, how can my church grow? But also, how can people who are entrusted to serve our community, how can they be reformed and how can they grow over and over again every year to readdress this and to say, where was the reform positive and where was the reform not so positive? And where it wasn't so positive, well, let's come together and pray and listen to each other and work together to make it better in the future. So that's what I would say. Let's go ahead and pray because I went 40 minutes on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I've been praying with, uh, again, this is, y'all know I love my mystics. So this is, again, allegedly from Jesus to a woman named Gabriel Bosis in the book, He and I. Allegedly, Jesus said this to her in elocution. So I want to invite us to pray with this. Jesus allegedly said this, I wait. I wait for centuries. Don't you realize that I've been waiting a long, long time for you? No two souls are alike. None other can give me what I expect from you. I just want to invite everyone to take time to listen to those words again and to meditate on them, to pray with them, and to sit with them so that God can give you the graces that you may need to become the saint he desires all of us to be. I love you very much, and I look forward to continuing our walk toward eternity together. Uh, I will see you in the Eucharist today, and I will speak with you again next week on this podcast. Same time, same place. God bless. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.